0: good ladies and gentlemen it's your boy 5 mics husband father educator writer mc the microphone gives me wings thank you so much for tuning into the idea of manhood podcast um this is season 5 episode something 3 4 i don't know uh, and this is uh this episode is They schools part 2 uh and so if you haven't listened this season or last week um I recorded They Schools and that is coming from uh coming from a song by Dead Prez popular hip hop group from the late 90s early 2000s they're still active today but they had a song called They Schools where they basically talked about the United States and this institution of education and how it doesn't teach and isn't really uh, wasn't really created with black and brown folks in mind. And so I gave a story last week about a few examples of how um, schools have failed me and our family. Uh, and so, you know, please go back and listen. I, I really enjoyed last week's episode and this week um, to continue with that theme of day schools. I wanted to... I wanted to talk through and really process out loud for the first time probably that I've ever, you know, I've ever talked this through in this way. I've worked in several nonprofit organizations, right? And I'm not going to name any of them, not for fear of pissing anybody off, but just I, I don't know how relevant it is for the story for folks that don't live in or around D.C., Um, even though I know that's probably where a majority of my audience is. Um, But after graduate school in 2001, I moved to D.C. and started working for a brand new organization that was created to help bridge the gap between high school and college for students in D.C. Um, At that time, in, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, I think it's safe to say that there really wasn't a college going culture in the city, in D.C., right? There were definitely kids that went to college, but um, because of the state of the school systems at that time, uh, because of, um, you know, some of the politics that were happening in and around the city, uh, because that. D.C. is not a state and only has one quote-unquote state school that students could attend. Students in D.C. just, you know, it, it just wasn't a natural talking point in conversation for students in D.C., especially poor kids, especially students uh, in, in lower economic situations. And so this organization that I, that I was a part of, was probably the first if not one of the first organizations whose entire mission it was to help bridge that gap and so there was there there was you know there were actual processes there were actual processes that we as a staff as organization worked with dc public schools and charter schools to help bridge that gap, like step one, do this, step two, do that, step three, do that, but more so, this organization really established, I think, is preeminent in establishing a college-going culture in the city, right, and at that time, those of us who were working in the organization and the folks that were attracted to work in that organization, we were just different, you know, we didn't know it at the time, you know. We were all in our twenties, coming in fresh out of school, fresh out of grad school, thinking our stuff don't stink. Like we were just in a different place in all of our lives uh, than we are now. Some twenty years ago, for real. But many of us who started in, you know, two thousand one, two, and then those that came in after us, and four, five, six, two thousand four, five, six, seven, and even eight, like we were just a different breed of people we had different energy we as an organization as people within this organization we were culture shifters right it was more so than how well or how you know not well we did our jobs you know going into the school having this many meetings and you know getting you know we were going like, to get your numbers you got to get your numbers up you know and that was the conversations that we would have when we were focused on the wrong thing like internally as you know 20 somethings you know we were like oh the the administration always focused on the numbers and the, and we would sometimes even lose focus on you know what we were there to do but looking back at it now we were culture shifters and this is not tooting our own horn. This is not being braggadocious. This is not like, you know, trying to, you know, hop on anything and, and belittle any other organizations or systems or whatever. But I think back to who we were and how we operated and how we socialized outside of work, how we use one another inside the school buildings conversations that we would have you know our organization was literally for about six or seven years the only organization in the city that was having conversations with families about completing the FAFSA the only organization this is a school system that has 60,000 kids in it 70 80,000 kids in it right we were the only school only organization that was really talking about what is a FAFSA What document, you know, what documents do you need? You know, we knew the intimate details of people's family business because to do this work with poor people and people that lack resources you can't just like oh well come meet me in my office like you had to go to their house you had to you know call mom at work and walk to her job and pick up forms and meet at the grocery store and and get people's FAFSAs and we were doing God's work and we didn't even know we were shifting conversations you know what I'm saying we were you know i specifically worked me myself and, and 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 maybe five or six dudes throughout the history have worked with um we're working with boys in these schools to have conversations about college now let me let me let me i got to paint the picture because folks going to think i'm welling they they going to think i'm not telling i just use welling that's how you know that I've been in DC too long, cause I'm from New York, and I just use yo. They think we in out here, but let, you know, let me let me let me use the you know the New York word and say like yo, they gonna think they gonna think I'm i I'm, I'm not being for really real out here. You know what I'm saying? Like I just had to throw the New York and throw you off, but people are gonna think that I'm really you know that I'm really hyping it up. But we used to have meetings with boys in these schools now. In 2019, you know, there's so many conversations taking place about young men and, you know, masculinity and and, and talking about how we're going to benefit and, and, you know, not benefit, but work with boys to help them get ready for college. And let me tell you something. These boys we were working with were all the way thugs. Yo, like we, (laughs) y'all don't understand what I'm talking about. We were working with dudes that carry guns to school facts. We were working with kids that I know had bodies on them. I know for a fact had bodies on them. And if for those, if you're white and you're listening, that means they probably committed murders. I know that we were in rooms, closed rooms with these boys talking about life, talking about You know, how to rebound after jail. They were schooling us on, yo, Mr. Andrews, the jump outs be on New York Avenue at the white van. You can't walk that way. we like, what? What's a jump out? I'm from Brooklyn. Like, yo these were the these were the conversations we were having with boys that we would talk about jump outs and then we would also talk about the FAFSA and we would also talk about responsibility and we would also talk about being a man and what that means and going to your first college party and what it means to sign up for an eight o'clock class versus a 10 o'clock class and how they should set up their schedules. Like we were having culture changing conversations with boys in D.C. public schools and the charter schools that when I tell you there was nobody else in the city for a good 10, 6 to 10 years that were having these kind of conversation with these boys. And that's just the program that I managed that we had folks in every single school. So you may be asking, like, what's the, like what's the point of the story? And here's what it is. For the majority, for the most part, 99% of the folks in our organization were black and brown. And there were other organizations eventually that came about that started doing similar work. And they would also hire black and brown folks to do the work connecting with the students. So if you need to talk to students, if you need to talk to families, get the black folks, right? So you're thinking, true, like, of course, that's what we want. Like, we want our families to feel comfortable. and We want our families to, you know, talk with people that they, you know, that they can relate to and, and, and that they can have shared experiences with, right? So that was the right thing for these organizations to bring in these black and brown folks and put them in these positions. Absolutely, right? But then right around mm, 2013, mm, 2011, Right, part of me. I think 2011, 12, the energy in the city started to shift a little bit, right? And so what we all know now is gentrified DC. You know, everybody says every time I drive through DC and I work there, there's a new part. I'm like, damn, like yo, this city has changed. I can't believe that donna is walking her dog on ninth and you I, I can't believe i cannot believe that sue ellen is walking her uh her her uh her labrador retriever in deanwood i, I i'm befuddled by that right so we know what the city has come we know you know how it's changed and i'm not mad with all the changes i'm, I'm not here to i'm not here to talk about gentrification and the, the the benefits and the you know uh the the counter benefits of that i'm not here to talk about that at all but i'm here to just let you know that we know the city has changed we know that and is changing we know that there has been an influx of people that live in and around dc that aren't from here uh and that aren't are not only not from here but don't really understand what the city looked like in 1998 or 1988 or 1983 and and don't really understand the history of neighborhoods and why they shifted and you know who used to run this block and what this set means and what this neighborhood crew is and what certain quarters really was and who Marion Barry really was to the city outside of, you know, uh, the bitch set me up. Like, we, we know that the folks that are moving into the city don't really have a full context of what the city has gone through and how it has changed, who's here and who's not, Right. The folks that I've been mentioning and talking about that we used to all work together and and we were culture shifters, we knew about what was going on. And when I moved here in 2001 and when I started living and working in D.C., I didn't know. Right. I didn't know because I I didn't live here. I, I didn't know. But I did the work I had to to learn. I went to folks houses. I asked questions. I I saw the shitty, I saw the city changing around me, right, and, and I did what I needed to do to ingratiate myself, if that's the right word, I don't know if it is or not, don't, you know, grammar doesn't count, um, to ingratiate myself to the folks around me, to the communities, so when I say that we were doing culture shifting work, do you know how hard it is to change a culture? You know what it means to take a city like Washington DC and go in some of the places that all of those folks I'm talking about where we've gone and what we've done when we were 23, 24, 25, 27 years old. This the, the why why I'm talking about day schools is because as the city shifted, as more folks started moving in and coming here from their Ivy League universities from their liberal arts, their private liberal arts colleges, you know, all the kids that started coming here from, uh, from William and Mary and, and that moved here from Brown. And I don't know, it's Ivy league that moved here from, uh, from Wellesley and, and, and from, uh, you know, all over the place. Somehow as organizations and systems started to grow and leadership positions began to become began to open that core group of people i'm talking about and other folks like us we were and are consistently overlooked for leadership positions in these kinds of organizations and the new organizations that come in fly by night new whether it's government whether it's whether it's within the school system, whether it is nonprofits, whether it is uh, corporate, um, if it's education-focused and there are leadership positions, by and large, many of us, the specific people I'm talking about, and folks like us are overlooked for leadership positions. So for those of you that aren't educators or that this might not be completely relevant to you, you're wondering like, oh, what's the big deal? Like you were overlooked for a position. Now, here is why I say they schools, because they schools and they organizations and they mom and pop shops and they uh, nonprofits are all being run by them. They're being run by, the agendas are set by, the objectives are set by, the money is raised by them, by they. And we are used as pawns to, to, you see I'm censoring myself, right? We're used as pawns. To provide clout to these organizations so they can say we're real. We're down. Right? We hire Ray Ray and them. We hire Mike. He used to work at X, Y, and Z. He knows the people, he knows the city. All right, Mike wants a promotion so that um, he can, you know, help. be in some of these conversations with leadership and establish where we're gonna put our money so that we can really you know get to the root cause of some of these issues in the city nah 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 nah, nah, nah. we not that hip Mike <laughs> okay we not that hip uh, I need you to go lead a workshop okay in Columbia Heights uh let them know you Latina and and uh, we, you know, we're going to put you at that face of the organization when it comes to how we're going to spend these dollars, who we're going to send on this professional development training. When it comes to who's going to be in the boardroom representing the organization to the board, uh, we're going to need Becky and her Labrador uh, to come back from Deanwood uh, and lead this meeting uh, with all the skills that she learned at Lafayette University. Uh, we're going to need all that. You see what I'm saying? So once again you have organizations and I'm going to say it because I'm I'm 42. I don't have time to be tap tiptoeing and tap dancing around these issues. You have all these organizations in the city. It's wonderful. You have all these organizations that are focused on equity. All these organizations that are as you know based in the hood and now they want to you know they want to say You know, we're here to help Ward 7 and Ward 8. That's how you know. If they really want to help black people, they're like, you know, we're really here to help Ward 7 and Ward 8. Like, black and brown people don't live in every ward, but that's another story for another day, right? You have all these organizations doing amazing things. I'm not saying that the organizations are trash or that the organizations aren't, you know, focused on really helping people, you know, their intentions are so pure and so real and by and large many of them are run by white folks which is fine and that second rung of leadership are white folks and white women let's get it completely understood when it comes to who's making the decisions in these organizations it's white women making decisions for the black and brown babies in this city. And guess what? It's not just this city. It's happening in Baltimore. It's happening. It's been happening in New York. It's happening in Chicago. It's happening in every major city where education is happening. Failing, They're bringing in these culture vulture organizations that hire black people to lead the presentations, to go to the churches on Sunday, to man the tables at the school reform workshops. And they're bringing in white folks to run the organizations, decide where the money's going to go and to lead the organizations and to generate the salary. So just I don't think I should have made this point earlier and I'm sorry I didn't. But folks may be thinking, oh, that's cool. Like they're still hiring black folks, right? Black and brown folks to lead the round tables. But here's the thing they're paying us half, my G. That's that's really I, I missed the whole main idea of the story. Cause they're hiring us, and that's wonderful, right? They're giving us jobs, and they're paying Becky with the lab from Deanwood. Two times what they're paying us. And she just has her bachelor's in 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 nonprofit management. She's never even taken a counseling course. She doesn't know how to talk to people because she treats everybody like shit. She can no way go in front of families because she can't even relate to the housekeeper in the office. She doesn't even speak. If you see her outside of work at a non-work function, she'll walk right by you on the street because she doesn't recognize black and brown people because they're not in her daily experience. Oh, man, I'm exposing everybody. It's too much. I got a can. I, I might not post this. It's too It's too much, psych. You see what I'm saying? Why I say they schools? It's the, it's the same system. It's the same system that's in place for and why you, you people may not see the connection, but the same system that's in place for the reason why all these athletes are rebelling right now. The reason why teacher unions are going on strike. The reason why entertainers are like, nah, bro, I'm not going to sign that contract. You know, what I'm saying the reason why, uh, you know, airlines are like the reason why folks are going on strike is because the people that are doing a majority of the work, the people facing work, the entertainment, for lack of a better word, aren't getting paid and aren't being reciprocated in the same way that management is um, for doing half the work and not knowing half of the material it's a formula that folks are following and, and folks are getting screwed as a result. So I say all that to say this for my people that I've worked with across the um, across time over time in these organizations, like the one I'm talking about or, or the ones across the city, across the country, just know your worth. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's really important that we know that we're golden, that we're culture shifters, that we're gonna continue to speak life into the populations that we work with directly day-to-day, face-to-face, the folks that need us and need to hear from us. But when it's time for us to go into the boardroom, when it's time for us to have that leadership position, don't shy away from it. Lean into that. I know a lot of people that are like, nah, I don't wanna be in the boardroom. I don't need to be with the people. That's cool, but guess what? With the people, you're not gonna get paid. You're not gonna get reciprocated in the way that you need to, the way that you deserve. You're a culture shifter. You should be getting reciprocated in a way that reflects that. Right? Um, Don't shy away from your leadership. Don't shy away from the responsibility. And don't feel like this. I'm really talking to myself. I, I mean, I might pretend like I'm saying to you. I'm really talking to myself. Don't feel like you have to talk their language in the boardroom to get their respect. There's a reason why they had you in front of those people tap dancing and getting them to fill out those damn FAFSAs. Use that same skill. Use that same language. Use that same tenacity. Use that same grit, use that same, they like grit except when it's from their own people. Use that same grit and determination to demand your salary, to demand your responsibility and look them in the eye and say, yes, I'm going to come in. I'm going to dress professionally, but I'm going to dress comfortable. I'm going to dress the way I want. I'm going to talk the way I want. I'm going to take this experience that made me so successful with my people into this boardroom into this meeting and i'm gonna demand the respect and i don't have to talk your language i don't have to up speak and be like uh you know i mean i'm just thinking no i'm gonna say what i need to say in the way i need to say i am want to be respectful and i'm going to make sure that everybody understands what i'm saying and i'm going to do it that way because i have confidence and i know you're not used to me having confidence in this space in this way but guess what times are changing uh, right like to me that's what we have to do cuz we're culture shifters and when you shift culture you can do anything you feel me you understand what i'm saying sorry um so day schools please my people educators folks that are out there do what you got to do thank you this is mike andrews I use my whole government well this is five mikes husband father educator, writer, MC, uh, the microphone gives me wings. Thank you so much for tuning in. And when I say it gives me wings, when I say the microphone gives me wings, I'm talking about freedom. Peace.